episode 464 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear with the song Anvil. It is from the band Operation Octopus. It's from their album El Canavira. And you can find them at operationoctopus.bandcamp.com or if you happen to be in Platenza, Italy, you might find them there too because that's where they're based out of. They gave us permission to play this song here on the show this week. You'll hear it in its entirety at the end of this episode. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'd like to welcome you to the show. This week, we've got a couple of things that we're going to go over here on Monster Kid Radio. We have to discuss the first round of Monster Movie Madness 2020, and we're doing that with the man behind Monster Movie Madness, Steve Turek. He's coming over from the Diecast Movie Review Podcast to go over the results of round one, and we're going to discuss round two a little bit. And then Steve's going to stick around because we're going to talk about a movie as well. Steve and I are going to look at the movie the Octopus from the late 30s. It's an interesting film. Not exactly the kind of thing that you'd expect us to cover here on Monster Kid Radio, but it does have a giant monster that's kind of sort of doing stuff, and it's just got a really cool title and a few other really cool elements that we're going to talk about with Steve here in a little bit. Of course, it wouldn't be an episode of Monster Kid Radio without Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, and I have some feedback to go over, and we're going to get to all of that right after this. Such carryings on, and such carryings out, you've never seen. I've caught a glimpse of a young woman, like Melissa. You try to get her here. If we succeed, she'll be yours more for The doctor's dilemma has to do with an impossible cure. He's blood-bent on affecting. No matter how many beautiful girls are tortured and killed in the process. You've gone crazy. You're possessed by the demon of torture and murder. You've committed your last crime. I hate it. She's the cause of all this. like to shiver and shake, quiver and quake, there's mayhem on a monstrous scale in the most unlawful, really awful, awful Dr. Orlock. Welcome to this month's meeting of the Classic Horrors Club. I'm Rich Chamberlain from MonsterMovieKid.wordpress.com and KCCinephile.com. And I'm Jeff Owens from ClassicHorrors.club. Let's begin with a report from our sergeant-at-arms. Vince, are there any housekeeping details today? Once the door is locked, there's no way out. The windows have bars that the jail would be proud of, and the only door to the outside locks like a vault. There's no electricity, no phone, no one within miles, so no way to call for help. Uh, Thank you for that very thorough report. As you all know, oh, yes, we have a comment. It's time we started. We had better get on with it. Well, we're trying. As you all know, we're recording a new bumper for the podcast. 
So what testimonials can you give potential listeners? Yes, Al? I hope that as you listen to this, you are among your loved ones. Hmm, interesting feedback, I guess. Vince, what do you think he means by that? So many unexplainable things have happened here. You're not really selling it, guys. Chris, how do you think fans of classic horror, from Silent Screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, will feel after listening to the Classic Horrors Club podcast? In the first moments, every muscle, every fiber will be afire with torment and agony. In the days to come, you will pray. Come on, doesn't anyone have something good to say about the Classic Horse Club podcast? Yes, Bela. Well, this isn't a very pleasant way to entertain a guest. <laughs> At least someone's having fun. Let's adjourn on a high note. Al, would you like to sign us out? This concludes our danse macabre. Eloquent as usual, thank you. Please join us for the next monthly episode of the Classic Horrors Club podcast, available where all fine podcasts are found. Ladies and gentlemen, here is an important message from Jack H. Harris, producer of 4D Man. Imagine a check for $1 million being made out to you. In my new film, you will see 4D Man perform feats never seen on the screen before. And if you, any one of you listening to me, can actually perform in real life, the feats ascribed to 4D Man, $1 million in cash will be yours. Your admission ticket to see 4D Man in widescreen and color may be worth $1 million. 4D Man is the most amazing motion picture ever made. The story of one man who solved the mystery of the fourth dimension. Even in this century of wonders, when science holds nothing to be impossible, you'll gasp in awe at the feats of the 4D Man. In color to thrill you as never before. 4D Man. What number is this? What am I calling? You've reached the feedback section of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. And this week, we've got a couple of emails from... Well, a couple of listeners. Let's start with this one. This one comes from Mike. Now, Mike R. is the man who's been providing us with recordings from Monster Bashes that I've not been able to attend myself. And he wrote in, Hey, Derek, I'm trying to come back from the dead as far as emailing you. School's kept me busy since August. That is up until now. Now there's nothing. I hope you and Brenda and Wednesday are surviving the madness okay. Speaking of being back from the dead, I want you to know that I was one of the few people hanging on until the very end of your social distance Saturday marathon. I'm three hours ahead of you, so it didn't end for me until just before 3.50 in the morning. I was watching on my smartphone from bed, and I couldn't download the app to make comments since my phone is filled to the brim and didn't have enough memory for me to install it. I'll try to rectify that before you have another one. I need to catch up on my old TV shows. I'd never seen the Tales of Tomorrow or Suspense episodes that you showed. They were quite good. I also had never sat through the Blancheville monster before, had never seen the Fungus Among Us or the Giant Spider, and it had been ages since I'd seen the others. It was a very pleasant way to spend the day. Thank you. It was so cool of you to do this. I am up to date on your MKR podcast, which I always enjoy, and plan on using all this time at home to catch up on those older podcasts from before I started to become a regular listener. I'm also looking forward to the new Plan 9x9. Stay safe and keep away from the microscopic bugs. Mike. 
Uh, Mike also told me that he's got some more audio coming my way from last year's, last October's Monster Bash. I can't wait to get my hands and my ears on that and then share it with you guys and gals here. As far as what happened with Social Distance Saturday, that, that was awesome. I had so much fun doing that. And I do want to do that on a semi-regular basis. I do try to show a variety of, of programming when we do these things. Public domain stuff for the most part, so we can stay away from copyright issues. But... I happen to be friends with a couple of filmmakers and they gave us the okay to play their movies like The Fungus Among Us, directed by Joshua Kennedy, and The Giant Spider, directed by Christopher R. Mim. This weekend, I'm not doing another Social Distance Saturday, and that's because I'm co-hosting the first ever Gary Kahn Film Festival. Happens to be a virtual event, so I can attend, and I'm co-hosting that with Stephen D. Sullivan. Stay tuned. I'll make sure more information is available on our website as we nail down all the details. But I can tell you, once again, Josh Kennedy and Chris Mim gave us permission to play a couple of their movies. It's only going to be a couple of movies per day. It'll be a Saturday-Sunday night affair, and I'm looking forward to it. Gary Kahn is a role-playing game convention that happens once a year. It's named after Gary Gygax, one of the co-creators of Dungeons & Dragons. And I'm looking forward to kind of expanding what Monster Kid Radio does with this crowd, and I hope they enjoy the monster movies I've got on deck for them. Steve actually helped pick some of them out, too, so should be a good time. Mike, thank you for writing in. I really appreciate it. It was good to hear from you, and yeah, stay safe yourself, man. The other email I received was from a listener by the name of Stan. Hi, Derek. I've been a fan of yours since the MOZ days. I am what you would call part of the silent majority. Those of us that listen week to week, but that's it. I've loved Monster Kid Radio since its inception, and it's one of my two favorite podcasts, the other being the B-Movie Cast. I am currently a retired mailman, but I can tell you that when I was working, your podcast got me through a lot of tough days delivering the mail. It also got me through long trips and projects around the house. I just wanted to thank you for that. It's actually been an important part of my life. Got me through some rough patches. Whenever I need a pick-me-up, I'll put on your podcast, and it's like being with an old friend. When I was working full-time, I used to save all the episodes on my iPod so I could listen and re-listen anytime I wanted. That's awesome. Uh, in fact, my wife is in the other room and just heard me read that out loud, and she just, I don't know if you guys and gals heard it. I don't know if it got picked up on the mic, but she just said, wow. And yeah, I second her thoughts as well. I'm glad that you enjoy the show. I love doing the podcast. I love podcasting as a medium and I love classic monster movies as a, as a genre. And to be able to talk about these things with old friends and new friends and people who happen to be part of the silent majority, it's just a thrill for me. Thank you for reaching out to me. I'm glad Monster Kid Radio has been there for you, man. And as far as the B-Movie cast, yeah. I mean, what Vince Rotolo did with that show inspired a lot of what Monster Kid Radio has become over the years. And I know they're still going, and Nick and Juan and Mary are over there still banging it out when they can. So to include Monster Kid Radio alongside B-Movie cast as like your favorite podcast, that means a lot to me. Thank you for that. Stan, thanks for writing in. Mike, thanks for writing in. If you want to be part of the feedback discussion here on the show, all you got to do is write in. You can send me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Or if you want, you can call and leave us a voicemail as well. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. This contact information is also available on our website. Thanks again, guys. Welcome 
to an evening with Karloff, the master of menace in five fright-filled features. Watch breathlessly as the coffin opens to release the terror duck. <laughs> it's only a gallon bowls, the raven. Join Boris Karloff in the most gruesome day of the undead, Black Sabbath. And there are two more blood-chilling delights. Die, monster, die. And who knows? You may die. Laughing at the comedy of terrors. Five of Karloff's creepiest capers in nightmare colors. And you are invited. Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real, but fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. For dear life, hold on to your blood, because your blood is their life, because this is the panic only one man can stop. Captain Cronus, Vampire Hunter, he lives to destroy the curse. Kill me! To battle the undead. Her youth will pulse through your veins. To bleed the bloodthirsty. You bleed, my lord. At last, horror has met its match. Captain Cronus, Vampire Hunter, from Paramount Pictures, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week, we are going to continue our issue-by-issue examination of films covered with article-length features in Famous Monsters. We are up to issue 15 from January of 1962. There was only one film covered in this issue, which also included a look at robots in the movies and famous collector Bob Burns. The film featured was Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which was part of the Inside Darkest Acula reviews written by Forrest J. Ackerman. It is a five-page article loaded with 15 photos. It starts rather strangely, with Forrest talking about Val Luton's body snatcher, which only has a name in common. He seems to think that the film was based on the Robert Louis Stevenson original story, which couldn't be further from the truth. Later on, he mentions the true author, Finney. It is quite confusing. Forey had this to say about the sneak preview he attended in 1956. I caught the sneak preview of the Body Snatchers at a Southern California theater notorious for its sophisticated, cynical preview crowd, drawn largely from the collegians at the nearby University of California. They laughed, all right, and afterward, perplexed producer Walter Ranger asked me in the lobby, why did they laugh? I'm happy to say, though, the audience wasn't snickering at the sci-fi element, but merely the overdone love, and a lot of the latter can easily be locked out before general release. He goes on to praise the movie for being close to the book, 
then gives a brief synopsis. Nine of the photos are small and numbered with captions about the plot describing the film. The article concludes with these comments. I don't take these things seriously, but the ending scared my female companion to pieces. It builds up a gripping emotional effect. Author Finney pulled a real fine rabbit out of the hat, or seed out of the pod, in the conclusion of his book. But the shock value of the movie's ending will glue you to your seat. Science fiction fans should be pleased with this picture and pleased that normal people may be expected to get a kick out of it too. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. He saw them capture innocent people only to destroy. Father turned against son. People changed into strange, weird animals. A general of the army becomes a saboteur. Trusted police turned into arsonists. The boy's parents changed into killers. Invaders from Mars, weird, fantastic beings of a superintelligence, ruling a race of synthetic humans and pitting them against mankind's dream to conquer the universe. Come on, step on it. Search every tunnel. we got to find Ronaldo and the kid. When the colonel gives a signal, get back here on the double. Force awakens. Manos, God of primal darkness, as thou hast decreed, so have I done. The hands of fate have doomed this man. Thy will is done. And only one being in the world can stop it. Santa Claus conquers. Manos, The Hands of Fate by Anthony Wendell. A comedy sequel for two of the worst movies ever made. Madam, it will be very dangerous to leave now. The master wants you. Santa has a little girl to save. I'll try, dear lady. He'll have to face a dark force to rescue her. And he'll need some help from a robot. Cord, come out of the spaceship. Santa Claus Conquers, Manos the Hands of Fate by Anthony Wendell is available on Amazon. Check it out for yourself. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, everybody! Am I recording? I am recording. All right, cool. Let's do this. All right. And uh, we'll kick this off in three, two, and one. You know, I had a clever introduction here, and I completely spaced on it. I'm going to open with that. Steve Turek, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, sir. How you doing, Derek? And you don't need a clever introduction for me, because it's just me. <laughs> nah, man, it's never 
just you. You are the man who runs the monster movie March Madness sports thing. Yes, and, and right now we're the only tournament in town. We actually have a monopoly. You know, all the other tournaments canceled, so we are the one. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Monsters don't get scared in those stinking virus. <laughs> well, maybe they should. I don't. Anyway, so yeah, it's been a while, man. And I think since the last time we've had you on, you've got a few episodes of the Diecast movie review under your belt. What's going on with that, man? We have 10 episodes out. Yeah. And um, uh, for those that don't know, the Diecast movie review podcast is with my um, daughter, Mikhail, and son, Ben, an occasional guest host. Um, we've had Jeff Owens and Joshua Kennedy. Um, we also do interviews. We've I've been lucky enough to interview Elizabeth Shepard, Victoria Price, John Walsh, Joshua Kennedy, and we got some interviews coming out soon. I'm um, Donnie Dunnigan and um, Victoria Riskin, who is the daughter of Faye Ray, it's, uh, and Mitch Gonzalez and Reber Clark. We're mixing movies with interviews, um, just having fun as a family enterprise. We're like the WKRP in Cincinnati of podcasts, and I feel like Ed Wood running it. Okay, as long as you're not the Lonnie Anderson of the group, I think we're good. I would never be Lonnie Anderson. I feel like Mr. Carlson. Nice. Nice. And where can people find that? Oh, you can go on Facebook, Diecast Movie Review Podcast, or you can go to um, Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're also on um, Spotify, those kind of things. Um, just type in Diecast Movie Review Podcast and we pop up. But if you want to see all the different spots, um, you can go right to our Facebook page and it's right there. What podcasting host are you using? Anchor. Just want to make sure people know where to find you directly and, and that sort of thing. And we'll make sure there's links in the show notes, of course. In fact, why don't I go ahead and just make a commitment to you right now that you will be added to the permalinks, the permanent links section of the website, because you've been supporting the show for so long. I mean, you're part of the MKR family as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, let's get you put in there. All right. I feel privileged. Some people get an Oscar. Some people get Rondos. Some people get Fours. I get put on the permalink. Yes. Okay, I changed my mind. So let's go ahead and move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's gonna be some interesting editing now. Uh, gonna be like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Just just call Steve up. Hey, Steve, can you help me out? And then just just throw me to the side. I'm a minion. I'm used to it. I mean, it's not like that. We get together and record about a movie, and I sit on that recording for at least six months, right? Oh no, it's longer than that. Has it been that long? I think it's been almost a year. But then again, it's, it's like a fine wine. It's, it's maturing, and it's going to be even better. When you finally put it out live mm -hmm. or it'll be in your will. I don't know. You know, five, five, 5,000 years from now, people will find that podcast and be like, Oh, that was gold. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> see, before I hit record listeners, Steve said he was going to give me a little bit of grief over the fact that he and I got together and recorded about the movie gargoyles many, many months ago. And I've just been sitting in that recording waiting to use it. It's not, it's not that it's a bad recording. It's a great recording. I just haven't put it out yet. And Steve says he's going to give me some grief. So I thought I'd beat him to the punch. One day it'll be after maybe listener feedback can, we can do a write in demand for gargoyles. All right. Well, speaking of listener uh, interaction and input on the show, let's talk about this monster bracket. Let's talk about this sports ball thing that we're doing. Listeners had an opportunity to cast their votes in the first round of the Monster Movie Madness 2020 here on Monster Kid Radio. Now, we did something similar last year, but this year's has a, uh, a particular spin. You want to tell listeners about that? Well, yeah, it's 32 movies, and when I was at Monster Bash last year, I was asking people for different movies that the general public would consider bad, but 
to us true connoisseurs of movies, we know these are just hidden gems that they just don't understand. And the people there gave me tons of movies. And from that, I randomly picked 32 movies to go into the tournament. Now, as for the seeding of the movies, I actually did have some help with um, somebody from Monster Bash, Dan. And then I looked through it. Dan picked how the movies would go against each other. If people look at it, there's no way in the world I can have the randomness with with Jesse James meets Frankenstein going against Billy the Kid versus Dracula. The odds would start to get pretty wild, or Wasp Woman versus Leech Woman. So there, there was a, a method to the madness, and the madness was through Tall Dan from Monster Bash. Okay, so between you and him then, you created this list, and on last week's episode, people heard you and Ron Adams from Monster Bash break down the bracket and talk about the movies briefly, and he had his predictions and now we're going to go over the results of the first round. We had the East, West, uh, South, and North divisions. You want to just talk about the East division real quick and, and talk yeah. about who's going to go into the next round? We'll go for the results, and then we'll go through um, what the next matchup will be in the East, and then we'll proceed accordingly to the next division. Let's do this. All right. Now, we have a um, tough matchup right off the bat. Yeah. Creeping Terror versus Manos, the Hands of Fate. Do you really put those two together to bring... Man, this was fun. I didn't want to make it easier for people. Some people's like, this is tough, and I put, kept putting it, ain't I a stinker? Send all of your complaints to Steve at the Diecast Movie Review. Diecast Movie Review Podcast at gmail.com. Oh, okay. So look at that. He even gave you his email address, so you can email him directly with your complaints. I mean, I don't mind, because the thing is, if people are upset about it, that means they actually love these movies. It makes it a hardship that these two movies are put against each other. And then as we know from last year's tournament, it only gets harder each round. Right. It does. It does. I ratchet up the pain. I feel like I'm almost a mad scientist with this. You know, maybe I'm a mad poster. <laughs> so between the Creeping Terror and Manos the Hands of Fate, do you remember who you voted for? I know who I did. I bet I voted different than you did and we canceled each other out. I voted for the Creeping Terror. And I'm firing you. No. And, and yeah, you're right. Yeah. Manos is my jam, you know, and uh, the listeners of Monster Kid Radio have good taste. Yeah, Manos, no, Manos, was it Manos? Manos, the hands of fate, with 53.8% of the vote, moves on to the next round. And the creeping terror is just a rolled up carpet put in a closet till next time. Well, you picked two of the absolute best movies right off the bat. The next matchup, another two incredible films Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter and uh, Billy the Kid versus Dracula. And that one was um, pretty one-sided. Um, Billy the Kid shot a lot of holes in Jesse James with 66.3% of the vote. So Jesse James was killed by Billy the Kid. And, of course, Frankenstein and Dracula always have fights. So, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's a good movie, too, Derek. You know, Dracula versus Frankenstein. You should do that in a future podcast. I, I should. Maybe with some guy named Steve. Yes, Derek. Do it with somebody named Steve. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Next next round. <laughs> next matchup. <laughs> uh, the Horror at Party Beach and Iga. The Horror at Party Beach versus Iga. You got you to gotta sell it. Iga. Who did you vote for? I don't remember. If I was voting today, I'd probably go with the Horror at Party Beach just because of the music. Uh, I love Iga. Don't get me wrong. And I love the music in that, too. But Horror at Party Beach, that's surf stuff, man. I figured as much. I mean, yeah, I voted for Ega because how could I vote against Richard Keel? Right. And Archall Jr., man, you don't want to mess with that guy. I've seen The Sadist. I know. Uh, so, yeah, the Horror Party Beach versus Ega. And, again, the listener showed that they had great taste and voted with me. 
66.3% of the vote. Egad was like, Egad! And it ran back to his cage. And then our final matchup was the Leech Woman versus the Wasp Woman. I am mad with the result here. Really? That it was such a landslide. 77.5% of the vote went with the Wasp Woman. I love the Leech Woman. I, I like it a lot, too. Uh, I think the Leech Woman is underrated. These two movies make a great double feature. They're really cool. This time the listeners were against me, but I won't hold it against them. They're against both of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that's all right. That's all right. The Wasp Woman is pretty good, too. They're good movies. And actually, you know, you brought up an interesting thing. A lot of these matchups could be double features. <laughs> well, in fact, a couple of them were released as double features. Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter and Billy the Kid versus Dracula. That was released as a double feature. So nice way to group these together, man. Good call. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that people have time on their hands. Now you know how to match. You're always wondering what to put with something else. Like, what wine would you want with your dinner? Look as one of these is the wine and the other one is the dinner. Okay, if that's the case, then which is which with the Creeping Terror versus Monos? Well, Monos is red, so I would think that was the wine. Oh, okay, okay. And the carpet's your dinner. <laughs> moving, well, on, you know, moving on, serpent moving on. Serpent Terror. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, right, so. West Division. So, so Derek, you, you being the monster movie expert. Oh, gosh, okay. For the next round in the East Division. We have the Creeping, I'm sorry, it should have been the Creeping Terror, but Manos, the Hands of Fate, is going to get up against Billy the Kid versus Dracula. You know what? I, I love Manos. I am a champion of Manos. People know this about me. Uh, they, they question this about me. But John Carradine sells Billy the Kid versus Dracula like no one's business, man. So if it's going to be those two up against each other, I have to go with Billy the Kid versus Dracula. That is, to me, the right answer. I'm yeah. going with Billy the Kid versus Dracula for the same reasons you just said. Yeah, don't, don't tell the master. Uh, what the master doesn't know <laughs> won't hurt you, I think. All right, the next matchup, the horror at Party Beach is being attacked by the Wasp Woman. Wasp Woman doesn't have the music, man. It's horror at Party Beach all the way from me. The Wasp Woman. Because if you have Wasp at a party, there's no party. They all run. They run from the wasp. People are scared of the wasp. Listen to you using logic. Logic in this tournament have no bearing at all. But everybody's picking by their heart because if everybody was using their brain, there's no reason any of these movies would really, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. You know what I'm saying. I mean, we all love them. But that takes us to the West Division. Yes. And we had a, a nice matchup with the Giant Claw versus Reptilicus. And the Claw... It's big as a battleship, and it wins easily, 67.5% of the vote. I think there's some gold to find to be mined in Reptilicus, but you got to go with the Giant Claw. It's just great. That's right. It's as big as a battleship. <gasps> go Claw. <laughs> hey, hey, Steve. Yes. Don't ever do that again. What? Go Claw? <laughs> <laughs> You can't complain about anything I say when you put on a thing with Steve Sullivan singing. <laughs> wow. I'm just kidding. Steve, you have a good voice. Hey, you know that Steve guy? I should have Steve come on to talk about Dracula versus Frankenstein, huh? You just had to go there, didn't you? All right. Next matchup. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. We have the Beast of, what is it, Yuka Flats versus Horrors of Spider Island. 
And this one was pretty close. It was 60% of the vote. Horrors of Spider Island moves on. Who did you vote for in that one? I'm curious. Did you go for um, your beast or did you go for the spiders? You know, Spider Island. Horrors of Spider Island is something that I have warmed up to a lot over the years. I know it's kind of sleazy and, and exploitive and kind of icky even in some spots, but there's just something about it that I enjoy. So that's where I went. And so did 60% of the listeners, and so did I. Right so on. It's, uh, here's a matchup I was sad to see so early on, even though I set it up. The robot versus the Aztec monster is against Earth versus the spider. And Earth versus the spider won easily with 65% of the vote. I did vote for Earth versus the Spider, but it was a tough vote. It was a hard vote for me. I don't know if it was hard for you. The robot versus the Aztec mummy. I, you know, it was a difficult choice uh, because I don't think there were very many uh, international productions on the list here. I mean, there were a handful like Reptilicus and all that, but for the and I guess Santa Claus is on here too. But for the most part, this is a very Western, uh, Anglo-Saxon, you know, American. Uh, collection of movies and that's just kind of how the business was back then and you know I love my mummies but Earth versus the Spider Spider comes back through the power of rock and roll baby well it's like I said when I was talking to Ron you can't bet against Mr. Big Yep. now this is a tough matchup um, in the voting it was a 55 to 45% vote difference you know or the votes so 55% of the vote went to the winner so it was pretty close and I was, it was against It Conquered the World or the Brain That Wouldn't Die. And It Conquered the World, Conquered the Brain, and moved on to the next round. This was also another really difficult one, because who doesn't love Jan in a pan, you know? But... I know. But what did, you, did you vote for It or the Brain? I voted for It. Because, I, you know, it's... You it's, and I canceled each other out. It's, it's Paul Blaisdell, man. That monster's great. I understand that's it's a it, well. There's only there's, instead of doing sixty four like we did last year because I didn't get enough movies to do sixty four. Uh. Um, we did thirty two, which puts the the matchups to be tougher. You know, so there, there's less there's less cannon fodder, right? So to speak, right? But it does open up for next year. I have I have um you know I can if by doing thirty two it makes it more likely that we can have other other tour. Yeah. All right. So where does that leave us moving forward? All right. Then? So. In the West, that puts the Giant Claw versus Horrors of Who do you like, Claw or Spider Island? Oh, boy. Um, I know I just said that I have a lot of love for Horrors of Spider Island, but the Giant Claw, I mean, the monster is just goofy but fun. It's got some great performances in it. Mara Corday is so sincere and adorable in it. You know, she's kind of like my backup 50s girlfriend. Boy, that sounds awful. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just love the giant claw. I'm worried about you. You need some help, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you? Well, to me, this is easy. It's the giant claw. Okay, there you go. You're, and you're worried about me. Okay. I'm curious, when you said the monster and then you just went right to the actors, what were you going to say about the monster and, and the giant claw, Derek? It's it's great. It's 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 as big as a battleship. You're saying it's as big as a battleship. Okay, I find it 
if it, I look at it this way. If the giant claw that was done more realistically, I shouldn't say realistic, like a giant, there's like a giant bird, but you know, something that's, that wasn't as interesting. I don't think it would be as remembered. I think it would, I think it would be an afterthought of a movie by having the in design makes the movie have the lasting effect that it does. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Well, what about the, the next right. matchup then? Earth versus the spider versus it conquered the world. What do you think? I, well, I did say earlier, you don't bet against Mr. Big, but I mean, this is it conquered the world. This is, ooh. I think this is going to be a coin flip. Really? Okay. This, this is going to be a coin flip to me. For me. I'm not saying for the, uh, the, the average person, they might um, you know, have right away, go, it's going to be this one. What are you even, even thinking of a coin flip? But for me, I like them both. They both, I really don't know which way I'm going to go. What about you? You know, my heart's going to Earth versus the spider. Just, you know, it's Mr. Big. It's a giant spider. I love giant spider movies. Uh, and and I love the absurdity of keeping the quote-unquote dead spider in a school gym. And yet they still have a dance in it. You know, it's just <laughs> in the gym, not the spider, because that would be a different movie altogether. But you know what I mean. I mean, it just it's oh, I was absurd. wondering where you were going there for a second. I'm like, let's go in the spider. It's like Jonah and the whale. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. That could be a whole new movie for you. Hey, somebody write that, not me. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm going Earth versus the Spider. Okay, so you did make a pick. I'll figure out something when I go to vote. I might go Mr. Big because I've met Mr. Big. Yeah, and he's a cool guy. All right, that takes us to the South Division. And we had Plan 9 from Outer Space against Santa Claus. And Plan 9 from Outer Space totally obliterated the North Pole with a 78.8% of the vote. I mean, it was just like every elf, reindeer, it's all gone. That was Plan 8, I guess. <laughs> Take out the claws. That's right. Ed Wood does not believe in Santa Claus. Uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space came out on top. And that was my jam. That was my pick. I voted for Santa Claus. Did you really? I really wanted Santa Claus to move on. Because I still believe, Derek. Okay. I still believe. Hey, you know what? That that's that's adorable. Are, are you trying to are you trying to imply something there? I, I, no, I'm just just saying. Moving on. This was our eye battle. The crawling eye was up against attack of the eye creatures. Who did you vote for? I think I went with the crawling eye. Yeah, that's what I did. And so did eighty percent of the listeners. Yeah, the voters. It was a landslide. Yeah, that one was an interesting matchup. It, it looked good on paper. Obviously, to the to the listeners, it was pretty obvious which way to go. I mean, four out of five that voted went one direction, so it wasn't even close. Yep. Now here's an interesting one, and and we had Dinosaurus versus Gamera the Giant Monster, the first Gamera movie, and Gamera won with seventy five percent of the vote. Which movie do you think I voted for? I know you're a kaiju guy, man, and I, and I get it. So you, you voted for Gamera, right? I voted for Dinosaurus. Did you really? Yes, because I like that movie better. Really? I like Gamera, but not this particular movie as much as Dinosaurus. Now, Gamera the Giant Monster is the Americanized version, right? Yeah. That's where I wanted to go. I ultimately went with Dinosaurus because I like the music in that one better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's Ronald Stein, I believe, who did the music. And I, and I love that score. And, and that's where I ended up going, but... 
you know what? There's, there's got to be some kaiju representation on here. And Gamera, you know, holding it down for the giant suited monsters. So, Well, there's more kaiju coming up. Did they make it or not? We'll find out. We'll get there. We'll get there. But we got to wrap up the South first. Yeah. Bride of the Monster is up against Queen of Outer Space. 78.8% of the vote went with Bride of the Monster. And I was not shocked whatsoever. Our second Ed Wood film on here and the second Ed Wood film to advance. And I purposely put the Ed Wood movies in all the same division because I didn't want to have two Ed Wood movies get into the final four. I want people to suffer pain early and often. Well, I know I went with Bride of the Monster. I actually really like that one. To me, that is probably the most quote unquote real Ed Wood movie. And just feels better put together story-wise to me. It's got more Bella Lugosi. True. It's also got a lot more Bela. Who, who knows if this movie will move on. But Plan 9 from Outer Space is going up against a crawling eye in the next round. You know where I'm at, man. It's not like I don't co-produce a Plan 9 from Outer Space podcast or anything. You know I'm going to Plan 9. So you're, you're saying you produce a podcast called Plan 9 by 9 from Outer Space? I do. And if you check your feeds and if you subscribe to the show, you'll see that the most recent episode actually just came out a couple of days ago. It's back on track, baby. Would that be episode number seven? Yes, sir. So you're on the, the last part of the trilogy of nine episodes? In fact, uh, last trilogy, whatever, not the last trilogy of the nine. If all goes according to plan on next week, you'll see plan eight come out, which is with Chris McMillan. And then a week after that, the final episode with me and Scott, that is not including any of the special bonus episodes that I have in the mix. Now star Wars did nine episodes. So is this like where the middle three are the best and the first three and the last three are not as good as the middle three. I don't know what you're talking about. The last Jedi was the best star Wars movie ever. Oh, do, do, do. We, can, we can talk about that in a different podcast. That's, uh, actually, I've enjoyed every Star Wars movie in, in different ways and forms, but my favorite, of course, is the first one I saw, which was Star Wars. Star Wars. Now it's called Star Wars 4, but when I saw it, it was called Star Wars. What are we talking about here, man? That's not on the... Where are we even? What are we... Where are we? We have Gamera the Giant Monster versus Bride of the Monster. Monster versus Monster. And for the record, the best Star Wars movie is the Ewok Adventure. Anyway, Gamera the Giant Monster versus Bride of the Monster. I'm going with the Bride of the Monster. You know, I'm really worried about you. I'm going with Bride of the Monster, too, because I'd love to see people flip their gourd out and have Plan 9 from Outer Space meet Bride of the Monster decide who gets to that Final Four matchup. You know, it's going to be interesting. You need an Ed Wood movie to get that far. So one of these two is probably going to make it. I'm interested to see how that turns out. It'll be fun. The North Division. I'm going to go in reverse order in the North Division, just because the, the, the last movie we'll talk about was razor tight. Okay. So we're going to start with the bottom, and we had the Killer Shrews versus Godzilla Raids Again. And a Godzilla Raids Again destroyed the Shrews with 62.5% of the vote. I was surprised by that. I mean, I love Godzilla, don't get me wrong. And you and I have, have talked about this a lot. But... Godzilla Raids, again, I, I like it for what it is, but it's not, when you think good Godzilla movies, it doesn't come up, you know, in the conversation. So I was a little surprised by that. And besides, The Killer Shrews is just fun. But the listeners have spoken. James Best tried his best, but his best wasn't good enough against Godzilla. You've been sitting on that for a while, haven't you? No, actually, I just puzzled that out now. 
All right, here's a classic movie. The Navy versus the Night Monsters up against the monster of Pedros Blancos or Derek's attempt to get Creature to get a win. I didn't put this list together, man. I didn't do this. is all you, brother. Yeah, but you had that list passed to you, and I'm sure you were one of the people that wrote down the monster. Okay, I love the Navy versus the Night Monsters for probably the wrong reasons. I just, there's something about the way it's stitched together that appeals to the DIY person in me. But the Monster Piadras Blancos is an underrated gem. The monster design is fantastic. That is the film that I chose. And it looks like the listeners were with me. Steve, were you with me? I was with you. And 71.3% of the people were with us too. The monster of Pedro's Blancas moves on. Teenagers from Outer Space is up against Frankenstein Conquers the World. And Frankenstein conquered the teenagers with 72.5% of the vote. It just dominated the teenagers from outer space. I was surprised to see you even include Frankenstein Conquers the World on this list, on this um, tournament this year. Just because the, the approach that you were taking with picking the movies are sometimes not movies that people don't necessarily consider the best, like you said at the beginning of all this. I, I really put Frankenstein Conquers the World kind of in the top tier of kaiju films. So I was kind of surprised to see it on there, and I'm not surprised that it came out on top. It's what I voted for as well. Yeah, remember, like I said, the, the listeners wrote down. The only movie I wrote down on that list of um, movies that, that should be in this tournament that we had to you know, randomly pick from was The Giant Claw. I wanted to, you know, I was like, The Giant Claw, it's my favorite of this bunch. Mm-hmm. But other people put those in there. Like, I, I would not have put Godzilla Raids again on this list. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, you're right. But people did, and they and they got in. We stuck them in the same division. How Gamera got out of this division, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we should fire the guy who put this list together, this bracket together, actually. Well, the reason we did it, and we'll talk about when we get to the next matchups. But first, we have to talk about the last movie. And this one, ladies and gentlemen, Robot Monster against the Devil Bat finally caused something to happen that Derek and I have been trying to avoid. We avoided all last year. A 50-50 tie. I'm not surprised. The Devil Bat is one of Lugosi's best when it comes to the low-budget poverty row films that he did. And the robot monster has an iconic monster and just is goofy and fun. So I don't know how you reconcile the two of those. I probably went with the Devil Bat because of my Lugosi loyalty. And I won't have robot monsters. See, even you and I were, were at odds here. What are we going to do, Steve? Well, what I did there, because I'm with the diecast movie reviews... I rolled a die. Okay. If it was an odd number, it was Robot Monster. If it was an even number, it was Devil Bat. I left it up to fate. I mean, some people would flip a coin. Die cast. I got to cast the die. Got to stay on brand. Got to stay on brand. Got to stay on brand. I rolled a one. Okay. So odd was Robot Monster. Robot Monster moved on by... Sheer luck. Hey, man, you left it up to the gods. I'm probably going to get some feedback about that. You know, it's like, but hey, you know, we had to come up with something to break the tie. We had to do something. Um, yeah. But I will say this. Next year, if we have a tournament that's similar like this, the Devil Bat will automatically be put in. Fair enough. You know, give Devil Bat a, a chance to legitimately win or lose, you know, um, the thing. I shouldn't say legitimate, but I mean, it's just, I'd rather it suffer a fate where it had too many votes go one way or the other on it than the roll of the die, but you know, it happens. Yep. So robot monster against Frankenstein conquers the world. I really like 
Frankenstein conquers the world, man. I really do. I, I like Robot Monster. Like you said, iconic monster. I love Roman. Uh, the music is great. Uh, it's just such a bizarre film. But Frankenstein conquers the world. I mean, it's just such an odd one to come out of Toho, but still just as good as some of Toho's best of that era. I got to go with Frankenstein conquers the world. I got to. I agree with you. I'm going with Frankenstein conquers the world. Um, though I do love my robot monster, but it's Frankenstein. It's, it's, it's Toho. It's led the war of the gargantuous, which is a true classic. I mean, it's Nick Adams for crying out loud, right? Yes. How can you vote against Nick Adams? You can't. All right. Now, the monster of Pedro's Blancas goes against Godzilla raids again. This is almost like what could have happened. Oh, boy. You did this on purpose. You- yes, I did this on purpose. This is why Gamer probably is not in this part. Uh, we had to put the monster of Pedro's Blancas and made sure they had a chance to get as far to get to a Godzilla film. Uh-huh. So we had to put them. And we had to have something in the second round that people were going to be like, oh, man. Well, you know, I, I'm going to go... Patrick Blancas. I, I, I like Godzilla Raids again. I, I Like I said, I know a lot of people kind of consider that lower tier, not as good as some of the others, but this monster Pietro Blancas. I just love the monster design and everything that movie represents. It's just so cool. There is no such thing as a bad Godzilla film. I didn't say it was bad. That's no, I'm not telling, what I I'm said. Saying, I'm saying this. Godzilla Raids again. Raids again. Now let's look at that title, Derek. It's almost like Godzilla is going to raid and take out a creature big monster again mm-hmm. just like it did in the rallies of 54 uh-huh again or will the creature get redemption only you the listeners can decide which way this is going to go because Derek and I basically are going to cancel each other out so will Godzilla raids again move on or the monster of Pedro's Blancas move on just like Ron Adams predicted. Yep. It's going to be interesting. All right. So what I'll do is I'll put together another uh, ballot for people to fill out. Hopefully we can get another 80 or so responses, maybe even more. So tell your friends, listeners, uh, if you have any people that are interested in this kind of thing, these kinds of movies, I'd love to see them get involved as well. And again, it'll be a shorter amount of time to vote. Uh, Get the votes in by Tuesday of next week, which would be... March 31st. That's the uh, the March Madness Monster Breakdown Sports Ball Bracket thing. Steve, thanks for doing this. And stay tuned, listeners, because we'll be back in a second or two or however, six, whatever, 10 minutes or so is, or maybe even not that long. You know what? Let's just go to Sh- the Octopus right after this. Have you heard? Black Clock Audio Tales is a daily podcast that reads you a story, either a whole short story or a novel, a chapter or two at a time. Join us for our exploration of old ghost stories, supernatural fiction, horror tales, folk tales, fantasy, gothic horror, weird fiction, and cosmic horror. And don't forget to join us for our monthly show about the Cthulhu mythos at the end of the month. Black Clock Audio on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Black Clock Audio Tales. Part of darkmyths.org. Thank you. Do you enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler? Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, 
and the Time Tunnel. Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, tune in to BMovieCast at BMovieCast.com. I'm Cook, and I'm a podcaster. And I'm Turk, and I'm a podcaster, too. You know, this was a lot funnier when we were talking about it earlier. I don't know if it was... You know what? Let's just talk about this movie. What's the name of the movie? It is... Shh. The Octopus. From 1937. This is a film that I had never seen before. And I think that's the case with you too, right? Yeah, I've never seen it before either. It was um at Monster Bash this past fall. It was listed as one of the late movies. And I wanted to see it, but, you know, things happen, you know, and you, and you missed the movie. And I ended up purchasing the movie. I wanted an excuse to watch this movie. And then you contacted me and said, Steve, what movie do you want to review? And I sent you two movies, The Alien Factor and The Octopus. Oh, you just got to love it. And a brief description about it, though, because you knew what The Alien Factor was about already. Mm -hmm. I would say it was probably one of your quickest responses I've seen you give me back in Messenger. You're like, we're going with The Octopus. (laughs) Yeah, and and let's, let's put this out there now. The Alien Factor is something that you and I will cover. It's a little later than we normally talk about here on the show. It's like late 70s. But at some point, you and I will cover The Alien Factor. It's something that I would love to get to. It's a Don Dollar production. You know, regional filmmaking is something that I really enjoy. So that'll be fun to check out after we talk about The Octopus. There you go. So, The Octopus, uh, 1937, directed by William C. McGann, starring a bunch of people that I'm not familiar with. It's a movie I had never seen before, but I had seen a clip of it because a particular iconic moment of this film has been turned into an animated GIF or GIF and does make the rounds on Facebook every once in a while. But other than that, yeah, every once in a while I'll see it, but... Nobody really says what it's from or anything like that. And I'd be surprised if some listeners out there hadn't seen it as well. But it's never credited, so you never really know what it's from. And like I said, I wasn't familiar with the movie at all. So this is another one of those cases where you and I sat down to watch a movie that we'd never seen together. Sight unseen cinema for us. It's the best kind, I think, because you go in with no preconceived notions, no trailers, no nothing. I just knew it was on the back of the uh, DVD case description. And as you said... I've never heard of anybody involved in this production. And the funny thing is, I looked at their IMDb pages, and a lot of these people have been involved in between 80 and like 200 projects. Yeah, it does feel like it has the vibe of being one of those movies where everybody had studio contracts. You know, like, okay, these people are under contract, this person, that person, this person, let's put them all in this movie. It doesn't feel like there's any real big... I don't know, stunt casting isn't the word I'm looking for, but it just felt like a lot of studio players came together to make a movie. And it's a, it's a quick flick. It's 54 minutes, and it's a uh, comedy mystery film like the old dark house, except this is an old dark lighthouse. Which is kind of cool. A nice little twist. You know, it could have easily been an old dark house type movie, but no, it was a lighthouse, and I liked that. Now, they didn't exploit it too much. 
in terms of like going up and down and up and down and all that. But there is a reason for that. Yes, there is. You know, from you know, the information I was able to find, and there's not a ton of information on this film, but it was a, based on a play, first The Gorilla, which was 1925, and then Shh, The Octopus was a play in 1928, which had a lot of similarities with The Gorilla. That's why they credit both. I did not know that. Okay, so this is based on a stage play? Yes. Wow, okay. Interesting. Which would explain the movie, like certain things that happened in the movie, if you know it was based on a play. In that time frame, back in that day in Hollywood, you know, it was more often where the play was just filmed, you know, and with with some extra things that you couldn't do on a stage. Yeah. Like arsenic and old lace. Interesting. Okay. It does have a very stagey feel, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's pretty much contained within one or two locations and that's kind of how plays work you know now i want to go back and read some of the original plays i mean that'd be kind of fun and if it's from the 20s that's public domain stuff man yeah 1928 was shush the octopus and the gorilla was 1925 (laughs) shush is that what you said (laughs) well you know it's i could have said another word (laughs) (laughs) i enjoyed this movie um it's it's kind of like Abbott and Costello weren't big in the movies at this time or just starting to be at this time, you know, but it was, it was kind of like an Abbott and Costello B team. (laughs) It does feel that way with Hugh Hubert and Alan Jenkins being the two uh, lead characters here. They, they have this or the lead actors, excuse me. They have this back and forth that feels very proto Abbott and Costello. And did you know, Derek, that they're detectives? I'm pretty sure I know they're (laughs) protectives. And they made sure everybody else knew they were detectives, too. One of my favorite lines is when Dempsey would say, I'm Dempsey and I'm a detective. And Kelly would go, and I'm a detective, too. Yeah, over and over again. But you know what? It feels a lot like this was a team that had some routines down, which is odd because this is the only time they really did a comedic teaming together, isn't it? That's the only time they ever were together. They were in 10 different films, but it's the only time they were paired together in the scenes like this. So I read that I thought they'd had a history yeah, of a vaudeville maybe or other movies. And then I read that it was like, no, first time, put them together, which I think shows that they had good chemistry. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They felt like they had these routines down this kind of back and forth, the way they reacted to each other, the way Hugh Hubert's always going, woo, you know, just the, the kind of back and forth and all that. They had a very comfortable pairing uh that they were presenting on screen but yeah they never did anything else together as a comedic team which is too bad i think while sometimes yeah maybe it's a little over the top it it could have developed into something really cool neither one of them was a true straight man or the true comedy like it kind of was more fluid i think yeah dempsey would have been more of the abbott version more of the straight man with less of the comedic lines it might have flowed a little better in an Abbott and Costello way. But that's just because I'm partial. To, I love Abbott and Costello films. Which I know you do, too. Sure, sure. Yeah, in fact, as of this recording, I just talked about another Abbott and Costello film with Joe Stuber yesterday that you'll be hearing on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. I love Abbott and Costello films. Uh, they're great, and I love that pairing, that team. They're my favorite classic comedy duo. And this one feels like it's in that mold as opposed to, say, like, Bela Lugosi meets a broken gorilla where you've got the knockoff Martin and Lewis team. Mm-hmm. Whereas with these two guys, with uh, Hugh Herbert and Alan Jenkins, they really are their own thing. Like you said, they're more fluid. They kind of go back and forth between who's 
basically the butt of the joke, who's the one delivering the punchline, that sort of thing. And I really like those two together. I wish they had done more together like this. I'd watch them. I'd enjoy them, I think. And, and that's why I looked it up, you know, because I was just curious. I was like, what else have they done together? I thought maybe they had done a, a few films, which back in that time frame could have been like all in the same year or within, you know, within a year. Like I said, it was shocking that they only were an actual team once. I have no idea what the box office results were for this, like whether this was successful as a film or not. Maybe it didn't make as much money to warrant them having more pairings, which is sad. I mean, at least we have this one, and this one is its pretty fun. The octopus in the title could be one of two things, really. I mean, the octopus is the name of a crime lord, but there's also a giant killer octopus, coincidentally, at a lighthouse. And that octopus is the smartest octopus I've ever met. Like, yeah. like I've met a lot of octopus. <laughs> I mean, oh, it can lock doors. It can turn switches off and on. It can uh, open and shut windows. It was definitely the Einstein of octopi. The Einstein of octopi. I like it. And you know what? I know that a lot of places online talk about how you can see the wires. I actually thought the tentacle work was pretty good. Oh, I, I thought it was excellent. It's a 1937 film. Mm-hmm. And people are looking at it, it's like, oh, I can see this, I can see that. There are certain effects in this film that I don't think certain movies that come out nowadays do well, as well as this film does. Especially one um, that happened in this film with that transformation scene. Oh, man. And, and I want to talk about that. Let's talk about that here in a little bit once we kind of talk a little bit more about the movie itself. Because I do want to talk about that. And I want to end on that because it's such a highlight of this movie. And Derek and I talked to everybody. We're not going to, we are not going to spoil this film because I firmly believe, I think Derek agrees. Most of you haven't seen this film. Yeah. And I know that I get comments from people about how they don't mind spoilers, that sort of thing. Uh, but with this one, you know, it's, it's obscure enough. I feel like that maybe not everybody's seen this one. In fact, for a while it was considered lost. So, you know what? Maybe listen to us talk about it and then go see it for yourself. It's less than an hour long. It's super short. It's an easy breezy watch. And the movie never gets boring. I mean, they pack a lot of characters into this 54 minute running time or whatever it is. So it's hard to get bored with everything going on because five minutes later, really, somebody else shows up in the story. Even if it's a character that is painted with such broad strokes like the Captain Hook character. I love that character. I love that character. He's great, but he's Captain Hook from Peter Pan for crying out loud. He's got a hook he doesn't like clocks he doesn't like tiktoks but you know it works i love it in the very beginning and i don't think we're giving anything was this the opening scene where um the caretaker brings paul morgan mm-hmm. to the lighthouse and that this is how it opens up with those two guys going in there and he says oh yeah we're going to be captain hook's going to come and he's going to meet with you to make sure you that the deed's okay for you to have the lighthouse and yada 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 and he says captain hook and he goes yeah captain hook he's he's kind of a little strange but not in a bad way unless he hears the tick tock from a clock and i love it how paul morgan pulls out his watch from his pocket and then bangs it on the table so it's totally destroyed <laughs> and the guy goes to what did you do that for i'm not taking a chance he goes not that kind of clock that's a watch. I'm talking a clock. <laughs> <laughs> I came up here for some peace and quiet, and I don't want to have any problems. Yeah. 
So Paul Morgan is the character name. The actress' name is John Eldridge. And Paul Morgan, uh, when we're introduced to him, he is an artist, a painter, right? And yes. he, he's got the lease. He's got the papers for the lighthouse. Now, it used to be federally owned, but now it's his. And he wants to just have this peace and quiet while he does the painting. And, well, he's not going to have any peace and quiet because the octopus. Uh, and there's also a corpse. And I was surprised by the amount of blood we saw. Were you? Was that blood? Well, you know. I know. It's all special effects. Right. But, yeah, I, I was I was kind of surprised because they had it um, for 1937. It was kind of like, oh. I mean, it wasn't like a gore thing where blood's shooting all over the place. But for a 1937 movie, it's a lot more blood than you would normally think. Well, and the one guy gets blood dripped on his face, and he spends quite a bit of time in the movie with it still on his face. He doesn't wipe it off right away. That was the one thing I kept thinking, come on, wipe your face. Yeah, that's that's weird, man. Why don't you just, but no. he. And for the kind of character that he was portrayed as, the person who gets the blood on his face. That was Kelly. So yeah, for Kelly to get the blood on his face and still walk around like no big deal, whatever. I was a little surprised by that. But you know what? We got to see the blood for quite a while and I was really surprised. Uh, this is blood that is dripped down on him from above uh, and it's it's very well done. It's a shock effect that I really appreciated. And I like how Later on, when they when they get to the body, the certain things that go with it, it was nice. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a type of film where people are not always who they say they are, and there's a lot of switching. That's one of the reasons why, Derek, and I don't want to spoil it, because there's a lot of role changes, except for two. Kelly and Dempsey, they stay detectives all the way through. Yeah, they never change, which is nice, because those are, those are our uh, viewpoint characters, really. It's their story. Uh, they are detectives, in case you didn't know. One of them uh, actually... I'm a detective, too. <laughs> one of them uh, has, has actually been told that uh, he needs to get to the hospital because his wife's having a kid. And he's popping pills to help him with something or other. Like, I I've never seen anybody go for pills so fast. You know? Yeah, but, you know, instead of getting to the hospital, there's a woman they find out on the road in the middle of the rain and... You know, she's screaming and how hey, we got to get up to the lighthouse and find the body. And, you know, this mystery ensues as this caper happens, uh, so to speak. And like you said, not everybody is who they claim to be. Uh, there's a lot of who did this, what's going on here, where's the secret passage go to from there. It's a fun little ride. And like I said, it's less than an hour long, so it's hard to get bored with it. I don't, I don't know what else to say about the story. I mean, it's kind of... I mean, for lack of a better term, it's kind of a basic story. It is. I mean, um, Vista is the one that they meet on the road, mm -hmm. and she tells them that her father-in-law is killed in the lighthouse. And Dempsey tells Kelly, we got to do it. Kelly's like, I got to go. The baby's like, no, no, we have a new chief. That's one thing we didn't mention. There's a new chief, that's, um, Clancy, mm -hmm. that's taking office that day because they're reading the newspaper. Right, right. And he goes, this will make us good with the chief. And then the woman says, the octopus. And they're like, oh, we can solve the octopus case. We'll be heroes. We'll make money. We'll be, you know. Yeah, there's a reward. There's everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what that's what leads them to go to the lighthouse with Vista. And, and she was said led to the lighthouse because of a note that was left by Nanny. I know it's, it, it's a stupid line, but I love the line they, every time when they say, well, who's the Nanny? And when everyone always go, that, it's a goat. <laughs> <laughs> Nanny's a goat. 
there's certain lines they use over and over. It starts off being funny, then it drops again. But because they keep doing it, it becomes funny again. Right, which is a very Abbott and Costello kind of way of doing things. You know, they would sometimes have the same callbacks back and forth, back and forth, which is, again, why I felt like they would have made a great comedy team. That's why I felt they were. But, you know, maybe that just kind of speaks to the quality of the acting, the performance, the direction, that sort of thing. Oh, exactly. It was a good running joke. Yeah. So spotlight moments for me, I talked about the blood and the corpse, which I was really surprised by. We do see the tentacled octopus a few times. You commented about how it was the smartest octopus you've ever seen on film. It was able to do so many things. I just really liked the look. I was really surprised by how well it looked to me. I I don't care about seeing wires or not. And really, I didn't see him right away anyway. So I really liked the way the octopus was handled. What were some of the standouts for you? Some of the standards for me were Kelly and Dempsey, mm-hmm. the relationships there. I love these type of old haunted house movies. Mm-hmm. So I like how you have all the different relationships that turn out as the movie goes on, the different little um, switches and, um, uh, you know, when you start to find the revelations. There we go. The, the revelations as, as the movie plays out. I really enjoyed George Rosener as Captain Hook. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just... He brought the right look of maniacal and stuff like that. And there's a line where um, Dempsey tells Kelly when, when they first meet Hook, fingerprint him, and he shows him the hook. And he goes, you know, <laughs> I don't think I can fingerprint him. You know, he's got a hook. I did like and, that quite and a that bit. Kind of, and, there, and there's bodies that disappear, that come back. I mean, or people living or dead. I mean, it really keeps things rolling. My favorite thing is your favorite thing, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. But my least favorite thing would be when they're underground under the lighthouse in the caves mm-hmm. and they can look for this one i guess part of the, the the water i don't know what it was but they were able to see things that there's like how in the world are they seeing that do you know what i'm talking about i i think i do do we want to say they see an octopus and then they see some other stuff once they get into the cave some things start to happen that are a little like really okay i feel like this was just kind of shortened up a little bit but whatever but you know it never really takes away from the fun of the movie there's there's a certain playfulness through the entire film that I really enjoyed. Uh, part of it's because of our two detectives, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And the revelations keep coming. And there's some stuff that happens with a diving suit that's kind of fun. It's just a fun, joyful kind of read. Or, I'm sorry, not read, but watch. Yes. You know, I just really and had a good time with it. minutes, I mean, if you're bored for like a, like 30 seconds, don't worry. It's changing totally in 30 more seconds. You know, it's uh, it, it keeps morphing as it goes through with different things happening. So if one bit of humor doesn't work, there's another um, gag that's going to come that'll probably work for you. Exactly. There's one character, Polly Crane, who's mm-hmm. played by Margaret Irving. And she has a great line when um, I think it was Dempsey starting to put, I'm trying to put two and plus two together. And she goes on oh, next thing, you know, you'd be working on the alphabet. <laughs> I mean, there was, she was throwing out some some shade, some stingers on him. Well, it's that kind of snappy, kind of vaudevillian kind of flow, you know? I'm really surprised it took me this long to watch this movie. I really had a good time with it. And I'm so glad that it's something that's out there now that people can see. Oh, I'm glad too. And I think we could both talk about our favorite part now. And that is the uh, transformation sequence, which I think, awesome. So cool. So there's this transformation sequence when one character becomes the octopus, the octopus, the crime lord, right? And so first of all, the person who is revealed to be the octopus, I had no idea that person would be the octopus. That's really, yeah, I was a little surprised that they went that way. I knew 
from a scene earlier. Okay. That it, that character was the octopus at that point. And again, we're intentionally being a little vague, but I was I was a little surprised that they went that route. Like I was expecting another like twist, like oh, it's not really that person. That person did this because of that, you know. So I expected a little bit more of a a, a twist there. But you know, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. It, it was still kind of a shock to me. At this point, I'm waiting for the expectations to be subverted again because that's what they've already done through the entire film. And nope, they didn't this time. They set me up and then, yeah. But the transformation itself, it's a very Jekyll and Hyde transformation. It all happens on screen. It is so cool. And like you said earlier, it rivals a lot of transformations that you see now. Rivals? It's better than a lot of transformations I see with CGI and the transformation sequence that they did, the way they did it, can only be done on a black and white film. Even knowing, you know, having my suspicions proven correct of it, who the octopus was, that transformation sequence just blows you away. It is just like, oh, that is just amazing. I could see that giving a young child nightmares. I could see that too. I mean, it's right down to the teeth, man. And I don't know if we saw that in Jekyll and Hyde. I don't know if we saw teeth transformation happen the way that it did in this film. And the character, the actor, just sold it so well. Oh, and, yeah. And, and it was really into it. And, and when, when you want evil, this actor does evil in, the, in a great way. Yeah, the performer that they had do this particular part, top-notch. The physical transformation is done with makeup, obviously, but there's also some body acting in the way the lines are delivered now uh, by this character, by this performer. It is so different and just so... I hate to keep using the word good, amazing, you know, it's fantastic. I, I don't want to just keep throwing these words out there like that because I don't want to make those words have less impact than they really bring. You know what I mean? But it's it's yeah. easy to just say this movie's good. This movie had some great moments. The transformation is amazing. I really dug it, man. And you know what? I, I don't want to ruin the movie. Like I said, we don't want to spoil it. It's probably not one that's been seen by everybody. But if I can find a link to like a clip online or something like that of the transformation scene, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Because I think it's something people will enjoy. So definitely watch the movie first. Yeah, I mean... Before you see the link. Unless that doesn't bother you. If it doesn't bother you, then, then go to the link. I'm not sure... I think I know what now what your thing is going to show. Yeah, and I, I mean, it is something that happens at the end of the film. So it will ruin the movie. You know, ruin kind of a, a part of the movie. It doesn't ruin the ultimate twist. The ultimate gag of the film. Oh yeah, we haven't talked about that. Which we are and not going to talk about at all. Yeah, we're not going to talk about it at all. And this movie keeps turning the screws. And uh, <laughs> You and I, for movies sight unseen by both of us, I think we've done this with Cave of the Living Dead and now, shh, The Octopus. The Octopus. I think we're two out of two. You know, and for two completely different kinds of films. <laughs> that's for sure. You know, one of them had me believing that vampires are real, you know, because, you know, that's one of the kings. That, I don't care what anybody says, vampires are real. I believe in vampires or something like that. <laughs> by the, by uh, the one character... Um, this one has me believe an octopus can do a lot of different things. True. If you have them on the right controls. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, and for Warner Brothers to put something like this out, and maybe that's it. Warner Brothers wasn't really known for a lot of their comedy teams, were they? Was this Warner Brothers? Maybe this wasn't Warner Brothers. This is Warner Brothers. Yeah. It's available at least in 2010 on Warner Archive. Okay. As part of a six-film DVD R collection, Warner Brothers horror slash mystery double features. Mm-hmm. 
kind of curious now. I'm going to have to look that up. Who knows? There could be another hidden gem there that you and I could do down the road. Yeah, I do enjoy finding some of these titles that people don't have a lot of awareness of. I like doing this sight unseen kind of thing. Maybe we'll even brand these types of episodes with this sight unseen cinema kind of thing that we do here. It's been fun. It's been fun to kind of dig in into the the mix of movies that aren't as well known and pick these movies. Cable of the Living Dead is still something that I think about to this day. It's still a, a solid, spooky movie with some really cool stuff in it. This one completely, totally different, but also lots to remember. Very memorable, especially because of that transformation scene. And it's still available on Amazon. I'm looking at it now. Right on. The collection. The other movies, for those curious, and, and I've never seen any of these movies, Find the Blackmailer, The Smiling Ghost, of course, The Octopus, is paired with The Hidden Hand, Mystery House, and The Patient in Room 18. I've heard of a couple of these, but not watched any of them. You and I can talk later. We can look them up individually and figure out which ones are. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of The Smiling Ghost, but I haven't seen it yet. I think it would be fun to go through some of these with you, Steve. So why don't we plan to do that? Just reading the title, The Smiling Ghost and Mystery House and The Patient in Room 18 sound pretty interesting. Yeah. Stay tuned for that. Stay tuned to Steve at the Diecast Movie Review Podcast. Once again, where can people find it, sir? You can find us on Facebook at Diecast Movie Review Podcast. Um, you can also go to Anchor and um, put Diecast Movie Review Podcast in, anchor.com. Or you can go to the easiest way to probably find this would be um, Apple Podcasts. Just type in Diecast Movie Review. Derek's going to be coming in. I think you picked, um, what was the title of your movie again? I can mention both of them because at one point you and I were going to do kind of an action movie. And then we did another die roll and we did a drama movie. Uh, is the action movie still on? How about your drama movie? Because that would probably be the one coming up. The Whole Wide World is the dramatic film that we'll be doing. Uh, it is based on the memoirs of Noble and Price, who was one of, if not the only, uh, people who can say that she had a romantic relationship with Robert E. Howard, the creator of Conan the Barbarian. I'm looking forward to talking about that one with you. I love that movie. It brings me to tears every time, man. I've seen the trailer. I haven't seen the movie yet because I'm going to wait to closer to when you and I do it, record it. So are we not going to do the action movie that I picked a while back? We will. We will. Because I'm dying to talk about Black Samurai. Oh, man. It's an Al Adamson classic, man, with Jim Kelly. It's so... Anyway. Yeah. I know you had me with Jim Kelly, you know, because of Enter the Dragon. You know, it's... it's uh... But we're really going off on a tangent now. <laughs> yes, we are. And that's what happens, you know, when a couple of monster kids and movie fans and good friends start talking. Steve, I appreciate you doing everything that you do for the show. Even though you've got your own podcast now, you're still making time for us. And I really appreciate it. And let's have you on in a week to talk about the next round of Monster Movie Madness. Like I told Steve, you're going to be able to find a link to the Diecast Movie Reviews podcast over at our website at monsterkidradio.net. We'll make sure it's in the show notes, or you can just go to anchor.fm and do a search for Diecast Movie Review. I'm looking forward to when I have an opportunity to join him and his family to talk about a couple of movies like we talked about there earlier in our conversation. Big thanks to Steve for being part of the show. And, you know, I meant it. I know that he's busy with his own program now, his own podcast, that he's making time for us still to do the Monster Movie Madness and be a semi-regular guest here on the show. means the world to me, man. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate our friendship. And I hope you guys and gals enjoyed the conversation about Shh, 
the octopus. As far as Monster Movie Madness goes, I'm going to open up the ballot as soon as I hit publish on this episode of the podcast. Voting for round two ends on March 31st. That is next Tuesday. I know it's a short turnaround time, but we really want to bang these out and keep the enthusiasm going. Especially since, like Steve said, we're one of the few brackets in town anymore. So anyway, check that out over at tinyurl.com slash monstermadness2020 or follow the link in the show notes. It's all new. The creature walks among us, more terrifying in human form. Striking at the heart of the city with inhuman fury. The creature walks among us. Horror unleashed by the daring of man and a dangerous experiment of science. I have burned away the outer scale. There's a structure of human skin underneath it. The creature walks among us. The grimmest cargo ever brought to civilization. Now a monster made even more frightful by human emotions. Plus Merle Oberon, Lex Barker in The Price of Fear. Two great thrill pictures on one program. Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. Famous Monsters of Hollywood magazine names it... Shock Award winner, the monster of Piedras Blancas, the monster of Piedras Blancas, the world's most shocking monster, stalks its unsuspecting prey, feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy arms. The screen's most nightmarish beast. A claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean, turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such cringing terror, then trapped in a torment of unendurable suspense. See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all, The Monster of Piedras Blancas. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening this week and being part of the Monster Kid Radio experience. For me, just knowing you guys and gals are out there listening to me blather on about these monster movies makes me feel like what I'm doing is worth it. So thank you so much for being part of the show. If you are a social media person, please consider retweeting the tweets announcing the newest episode of Monster Kid Radio. You can find us at twitter.com slash Monster Kid Radio. Or if you're on Facebook and follow us on the Facebook page, or the Monster Kid Radio Facebook group, please consider sharing the post announcing the new episodes. If you are an iTunes or Apple podcast user, please consider leaving us an honest review. 
we would really appreciate it. Everything that we've talked about here on the show, you're going to find links to in our show notes at monsterkidradio.net. Everything's there. Links to Steve's podcast, our Amazon affiliate links, taking you to where you can buy the movies that we've talked about here on the show. And by following those Amazon affiliate links, you're actually helping to support the show as well because we get a little bit of a kickback on that. You can also buy a copy of my book this way. So not only are you helping support me by you know buying my book and I get a couple of bucks off that, but you use the Amazon affiliate link and I'll make another quarter or so. So if you haven't picked up my book, that's how you can do it. Also on our website, we have the contact information that I mentioned earlier, and we typically announce there what's coming up next week on the show. And this week, I can actually tell you, I've thought and planned that far ahead for once. Next time, you're going to hear Joe Stuber from Comic Book Central come back to the show, and we're going to talk about our final Abbott and Costello film, The Time of Their Lives. This movie is special and i cannot wait to get to editing that episode and getting that done and ready for you guys and gals next week so stay tuned for that that'll be coming in episode 465 we'll have some new music to play we'll have kenny's look at famous monsters of Filmland, and maybe some of your feedback if you send anything in or call anything in it's going to be a good time between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Anvil. That song is copyright 2018, Operation Octopus. It comes from their album El Calavera, and you can find them at operationoctopus.bandcamp.com. You can pick up their digital album for under 7 Euros, 11 songs. They're all great. I just happen to really like Anvil this week. Check it out. Thanks again for listening, guys and gals. Talk to you next week. Ciao. (laughs) 